Hello and welcome to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. I'm Jenny Stevenson, your host, and joining me is Dr. Peter Bernstein. Today we're continuing in our series on how to survive through adversity. Dr. Bernstein, or Peter as he likes to be called, is a coach and mentor with 49 years of experience helping people survive and grow through trauma, struggles, and hard times, the stuff of real life. The goal of our series is to help you discover what we've experienced, that adversity is more than a trial to endure, it can be an exciting opportunity to learn, grow, and thrive. That's true. I'm glad to be back. I, to be honest with you, we missed a week, and uh, I was just saying before we got started, I really love this show, and I love doing it, and it gives me some perspective, and it's an uplifting part of our week. And uh, when you miss a week, and when we missed a week, I was like, wow, coming back, I'm a little off compared to how we've had so much continuity. This is our, what, 47th show? 46th. 46th show today. Yeah. And it's been an absolute joy. Um, and to be a part of something so important um, is really gratifying. And also, it gives us a voice to our own struggles, our own work, our own pain, especially mine, since I'm dealing with my wife who's very ill. Um, but we all have burdens, and it's through it all that we, we can come out and be able to speak about it in a way that we don't hemorrhage into the microphones and the, and the video and the, uh, and the TV pr programs, but we can really share some of the things that we've learned. And uh, we, we, uh, I love doing that. I really do. It gives me a great deal of satisfaction to know that we're not just in the midst of an overwhelming, hopeless struggle, but out of it seems to come something so much better uh, and uh, with some perspective that I would never would have had if I hadn't gone through it, and I'm going through it still. Uh, Jenny is also, she deals with an awful lot, and uh, she's done a great job. And I'm very, very grateful. We have some incredible caregivers. Just to watch how the team works and to see their abilities and compassion and selflessness is so touching. We've also learned some things about some of our caregivers that we we, we know about with ourselves. But we have, I guess our newest member is our Fijian angel. It's Maritha. And uh, she works very hard. She's a very gifted caregiver, as is her husband. But I could see on, I think it was Friday, uh, came in, she didn't... She looked like she wasn't feeling that great. She didn't complain. She never complains. And uh, I just reassured her by just putting my hand on her shoulder. And all of a sudden, I realized the tension that she was holding in her body yeah. was like rock. Yeah. And She's very then, strong. Very strong woman. But that's one of the problems. Well, um, she sees herself as very strong. But there's a point where that doesn't work so well anymore. In fact, I could have, I, when I asked, don't you get, do you get headaches? She said, no, I feel fine. After we worked on her, and uh, we did some work on her shoulders and her trapezius and her neck, my goodness, she she was carrying a lot of emotional pain that she's absorbed in her work. <clears throat> and she carries it, never complaining, but yet it was taking a toll. And it reminded me that we've got to take care of, she's another one, we've got to take care of her, make sure she's all right. We need her to be resilient. And when people do what Maritha does, eventually they lose their resilience because they burn out. They're exhausted, depleted, they're in pain, they get sick. Um, and that, we want to prevent that. Uh, hospice tells us that we have 
the finest team they've ever seen to put together to help uh, uh, caregivers, and they work specifically at the Institute and for helping my wife. So to me that means a lot because in this kind of work that we do, it's so easy to feel that we never can, we don't ever seem to be able to do enough. I, I have a, I look at that and I want to always be able to find some way to make my wife more comfortable to bring her out of something that we're not going to be able to bring her out of. And I look at that and I go, what else can I do? And if I really spend too much time there, I'll feel like a failure. So, uh, and I realize that. Um, and it's very emotionally depleting and heartbreaking. But what I see, um, truthfully, is that out of all of this adversity and struggle and difficulty, there is a resilience and strength that comes that you can't get any other way. It's just that simple. Um, so we want to make sure that we take care of Maritha and uh, and um, take care. We do take care of everybody, but Maritha's got other work beside ours, and so we have to kind of catch up to her. And we did on Friday, and she was very grateful. When we got done, the part that I saw was she carried the sorrow and the sadness that she absorbs in the work, and we all do. Um, that's one of the things I want to talk about today, about caregivers. Caregivers are people who are so selfless and put themselves in harm's way to help other people. They sacrifice, they give of themselves. Um, they're amazing. Caregivers, generally speaking, are immersed in the world that most of us don't even want to admit exists and uh, don't even want to think about. And boy, I sure can understand why. But it's a very, very... Uh, normal and very difficult part of life. Caregivers don't avoid it. That's where they immerse themselves. Um, I think that we found so far that most of, the, although our team are mostly Americans, um, that most of the cultures, well not most, but the cultures we've seen, the Haitians, the Filipinos, the Fijians, their culture deals with that difficult part of life even as children know how to deal with it. They just consider it a normal part of life and how to, and how to relate. And um, it's astounding because I've known uh, Haitian families that have helped my family in Florida. And I used to learn from the children. They knew when I'd come every five weeks to see what was going on, the children knew, had a, a continuity and an ability to respond that I had to pick up on and I watched. American culture, unfortunately, doesn't incorporate this part of life very naturally and normally, although there's some very good American caregivers. I, we got a bunch of them at our institute. But not generally speaking, but if you, you uh, not for the United States, when you look at other cultures, you realize, man, this is part of their life. They deal with more desperate situations. Um, they deal with much more adversity just to survive. And uh, they take care of their own. They take care of the elderly and sick in their families. They just figure it's part of life. Um, some of these cultures don't even have assisted living facilities at all because the families are the ones that take care of the sick and the dying um, and recovering. So I look at that and, and, well, to be honest with you, I like it. It means a lot to me. And I find that those folks have a lot of courage and a lot of guts. They also have some blind spots, and we'll talk about that today because those are the areas that we have experience, expertise, in, and sensitivity in that we've seen that it's not part of those other cultures. And that is about self-care. Um, understanding what it takes. That's something we, as an institute and, uh, and, and working for the nonprofit, um, specialize in. So we know what we're doing. And we know the depth and the 
expansiveness of it and the importance of it. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, but I don't see that in these other cultures at all. That is one thing that is a gaping, missing component. One thing that I'd like to go back to about when you were helping Maritha with uh, some of the stress and tension that she was carrying, you did some, you did some hands-on work. Yeah. And uh, this is a really good example to me of some of the things we've been talking about on the on the podcast mm-hmm. about how stress and distress, <coughs> excuse me, find a way to be lodged in our bodies. Yeah. And uh, we've talked about taking on negative energy from caregiving experiences and how that feels. We've talked about the emotions that can come up and how that feels in our body. Maritha has heard us talk about this. Plenty. And she's she's smart as a whip, too. And yet, she experienced this so much differently when you did some hands-on work. Yeah. And I just bring this up now because the challenge is, at least partly, we have an audience who we cannot touch. They can't have that hands-on experience that Maritha had. So our goal here is to help try to translate that experience. We only can use words, and we've been using those words as best we can, and we're going to continue today. Um, But the experience of what we're talking about can almost be on another level. It is. It's a different language. It's a as you call it. It's a different channel that people need to tune into. But you're getting ahead of me because. But that is something that is absolutely important. I think that what we really need to know is that if you're an empath, a person that's a selfless giver, you're also going to be more sensitive and you're going to be more like a sponge that absorbs a lot of the energy, the negativity, the difficulties. And I don't, when I say negativity, I'm not talking about just bombarding anger and I'm talking about the pain, the struggles that are the people that we're taking care of go through, and we're there to take care of them and help them through their journey. And it's such a difficult journey. And when we are with them, there is a part of it we are going to absorb some of that energy. It's inevitable. Um, if you're cold and turned off and calculating and whatever, then you're not going to be a caregiver anyway. But when you are a caregiver and an empath and someone who really cares, the chances are almost 100%. Of course, you're going to absorb some of those things. The problem is it has a cumulative effect if you don't know how to take care of yourself. We're seeing a lot of caregivers don't have a clue. And they better because we're seeing what it can do to a person when they don't understand the emotional implications. Um, We've got to understand our emotions. We've got to understand ourselves better and the effect that, of who we are and what our pasts and what our lives have, how they've impacted us. We've got to have, be able to have a baseline reading on who we are, um, where our wounds are, where, what we feel like when we're angry or when we're sad or when we're uh, uh, frightened. We've got to kind of know um, what it feels like in our own bodies. And this is without being a caregiver. This is just who we are. Anyone. And it's very important to have that awareness because that will translate into, if we don't, impacting our way we think and the way we feel biologically as well as emotionally and spiritually. These things are so important. Um, what What I'm seeing is that a lot of people don't have a baseline because they do something that's very... We've seen it in some of our own caregivers and our team. It's a real problem. And we're not saying our 
our team is perfect. We have some people that have some very serious issues. One of them is what they call splitting off or disassociation, where they actually disconnect from what they feel in their bodies. And their reactions usually are, when you look at what they're dealing with, kind of unusual and sometimes very strange. They don't fit what's happening right now. Absolutely. And we look at it and go, something's wrong here. This doesn't look right. But when we really get to um, connect with those folks again and give them the support, we usually find out that when they have trauma from their childhood or when they're growing up, that they had to kind of, it wasn't appropriate or they couldn't, they couldn't feel what was going on. It was too intense or too overwhelming or too bizarre or destructive. So part of them just kind of shut off. They call it, clinically, they call it disassociation. We're finding a lot of caregivers have disassociation or splitting off. That's a really unhealthy thing to do, and I'll tell you why. Because if you don't know what you're feeling emotionally, it will begin to take on a life of its own, and you'll begin to misreact, overreact, um, not be appropriate, and cause some problems. For yourself and for the person you care right. for, or the people you're in relationship, that can be serious. It yes. Is. You've been listening to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. Welcome back to the Survivor's Guide to Life. I'm your host, Jenny Stevenson. And we started today uh, by talking about, again, that uh, the qualities of caregivers uh, being em empaths and the, uh, the selflessness that they bring to what they do. And the sensitivity. And the sensitivity. Mm -hmm. And how, um, as they take on uh, some of the pain or the difficulty in the lives of the people that they care for, and then have their own uh, emotions, pain, sadness, anger, uh, that how important it is for them to develop a baseline, as you said, for um, a, a sensations in their body, the thoughts, the, the attitudes, uh, what is coming up for them, and to stay connected to that instead of, as we said, dissociating or splitting off or disconnecting. It's very easy in this kind of work to disconnect from yourself. Very easy, for a number of reasons. But one of them is when you're dealing with someone that's really sick, or they're really dying, and their needs are so overwhelming, it's pretty hard at times, rationally, to put yourself and your own needs before the person you're taking care of. So it's an easy trap to fall into. Um, we've talked about having some boundaries, or we talked about a baseline today of knowing who you are, but boundaries are important too. And that is to be able to tell, know the difference between the person you're caring for and who you are. There's real importance in it. And we're not talking about the medical model of boundaries, which is so cut off and removed, almost, almost at times arrogant and uh, not very nice. I've seen, I'm not talking about all medical people, but I've seen a lot of nurses and doctors who have worked that way. They're almost, it's There's empathy. a rigidity to it. Absolutely, yes. and, and I think that that's trained into them to do. And I, I don't agree with the model whatsoever. Um, because there's a way to have boundaries and you still um, can have a connection with the people you're helping. And that can be conveyed and communicated in very empathetic 
caring and loving ways. Now, I know some nurses, one of them is a very special friend of mine, Big Steve, big muscle-bound guy. He's one of the most empathetic nurses and most effective nurses I've ever seen. And um, he can do both. I've seen him under pressure at the emergency rooms. I've seen him in the ICUs. He's an amazing guy. He's got both. And he doesn't follow the norm. The norm. That's what, he doesn't look normal either. This nurse, like looks like uh, he's like a muscle-bound monster, a beautiful guy. But he sure doesn't look like the standard nurse, and yet he's a remarkable nurse. But really, what I've seen where, that he can do it. He can do both, and he's great at it. I've seen others that can't. In fact, many cannot. I've seen doctors. They, they have, we have one who's a very good friend of ours, sleep at work, and he can do well. He's a very empathetic guy, mm -hmm. but I don't think he's in the mold of most doctors. Um, and he, he he does interact. You know, he's a compassionate, caring man, um, which I like. I like that. And to me, the, the whole thing is 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 that the experience of compassion and empathy and caring is essential for healing. Absolutely, it is. It's so important. We did a, talk, a speaking engagement what, about three weeks ago to uh, future doctors and nurses and caregivers, and they all started, uh, that grouping, all of them started off with a very caring heart. They've all, many of them have had experience, even as young people, being caregivers already for dying parents or, or, or relatives or grandparents. So they start off in a very good place. But as they go through the medical model training, my, my, my fear was that that was going to be uh, reshaped in, in a way that I don't like personally. Um, and I made a warning to them in the sweetest way because I was so impressed with them. Don't let that happen. No matter how much knowledge you have to gain, you need the knowledge, it's true, but don't let this get in the way of that heart of yours. You really were a caring, loving heart. That means you're going to feel more pain. You're going to feel the struggle of your clients and patients. But that's okay because it's going to help you find a strength within yourself and a hope that you didn't even know you had. But it does involve feeling and it does involve your emotions. So as long as that happens, that means you better have this model that we that we put out there because you're going to have to know how to deal with your emotions and how it affects your body. We've seen, unfortunately, we've seen particularly family caregivers um, that didn't know how to deal with it. And the toxic buildup, we call it toxicity level of emotional buildup, gets to the point where the resentments come up, the, uh, the stress levels really build, and eventually they get sick. Their blood pressure, their heart, they stroke out. Um, we're not just talking about emotional sickness, we're talking about they physically break down. And um, I know it, it, in recovery times for caregivers is also much slower. You know, how do I know? Because well, I, I do a lot of physical things and I compete on my horses in cutting horse competitions. And I've been doing it for, what, 35 years? I've been with horses 46 years. But interestingly, um, I've been taking care of my wife and very involved and I got hurt about a year and a half ago. And it was significant. The pain was, I'm used to pain, but this one was intense. And I remember it was, I usually recovered about 10 days. I've been hurt plenty in sports. And, and this thing was, whew, it was, I, I didn't think I was going to ever be walking straight again or pain was excruciating. And one of the people that was helping me said, caregivers get hurt more and they recover more slowly. 
but it's because of the distress that they absorb, the stress that they work under. I can attest after a year and a half almost, that person was absolutely correct. Um, it's taken me a long time. And no, I'm not hobbling around, but I can tell you that it was a long haul, and it's been a long haul. So I realize it is true. It takes a lot longer. The stress really breaks you down. So it's so important to be able to recognize your baseline of who you are, um, your emotional vulnerabilities and burdens that you've carried, and the effects that they have on you. And that, I'm not talking about clinically uh, fixing yourself. I'm talking about knowing yourself, being aware of yourself. Because you are going to absorb the energy of the people you're taking care of in their distress. It's different than your own. And it may mix in, it may dovetail into what you carry. And after a while, you won't be able to tell the difference between your pain and theirs. That can be a problem that can build to a point of crisis. Um, our crisis and as caregivers would be called burnout, which is you're done. The resentment levels are, are very high, the anger, not even wanting to do the work anymore. Forget about fulfillment and selflessness. You can't get away from it fast enough. You don't like the people that you're working for. You don't like yourself. You don't like anything. And uh, turning to drugs, alcohol, and other illicit things for pain control is very common. We want to prevent that. There are certain things that build toward that, though, that you can be aware of. And everybody goes through these the normal stresses that people go through. And everybody goes through that, particularly in this kind of situation. Um, but you still have your boundaries. And, you know, you feel it. You're aware of it. But a weekend off, getting some rest, being with loved ones, doing some nice things other than working, um, letting go of work for a while. Um, you can get yourself restored. Having a good cry, getting some body work done, which I really am a strong proponent of. That. Um, all of that will really help you. So stress isn't really the thing that kills you. There's a certain kind of stress. We're not talking, we're talking about normal stress. Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. So there is a boundary that's in place there between you and your, uh, the one you're taking care of, and you're still very well self-sustained about taking care of yourself and taking care of the other folk. Then there's what they call compassion fatigue. And that's different because you begin to take on, and it's so easy to do, you're, the person you're taking care of taking on your pain and their struggle, and giving so much of yourself and wanting to do so much. We all know what this feels like who do this work. And all of a sudden, we're more concerned about taking care of the other person. We forget about taking care of us. We begin to forget. And although we still love the people we're helping and love the work, recovery is much slower. A weekend of a break doesn't do it. You'll come back to work, you'll still be tired and exhausted. And there'll be a buildup of negativity in you, of energy. Um, that's, if it's not taken care of and you don't really respond appropriately, will eventually lead you to burnout. There are no more boundaries. Not only don't you care about the people you're taking care of, you don't care about yourself either. You don't want to work there. You don't love the work. You don't love the people. You don't love your life. You don't love yourself. That's real serious stuff. We've been called in in the past for... Uh, special projects by the VA to deal with incredibly sacrificing, traumatized caregivers. And we saw what a job it was to turn that around and to prevent it. It was a big job. Um, we were, I felt relatively success, pretty successful. 
we were with the people who really wanted to participate. That's right. Most people got more out of the program. They yes. really did. And then there were some, I don't I mean, particularly the suicide prevention people. I think that they were so overwhelmed with their job, they didn't have time. To I don't think so either. And forget about taking care of themselves. Yeah. I think they gave up on that. Yeah. They looked, y'all never forget our last workshop we did. They had all aged, they looked to me at age 10 years. Yeah. And it was, they were good people, but they were angry. And there was a bitterness and a, 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 a dark outlook. Mm -hmm. And I could understand, you can understand why, but they weren't doing the right things for themselves. You've been listening to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. Welcome back to the Survivor's Guide to Life. I'm your host, Jenny Stevenson. In our last segment, we were talking quite a bit about boundaries. And in this case, uh, the boundaries we're talking about are between um, a caregiver and a person receiving care, and the importance for a caregiver of discerning, being able to tell uh, the type of pain and distress or stress that they're feeling that belong to them, and the pain and distress and difficulty that the person they're caring for is experiencing. And I wanted to say that, that, that this could sound simple in some ways, mm -hmm. because as a caregiver, you might be caring for someone who has, as I am, advanced dementia. I don't have advanced dementia. Uh, you could be caring for someone who's paralyzed and you're not paralyzed. Mm -hmm. And yet, for someone who has compassion and empathy and care for, the, for who, the suffering of this person who is losing whatever aspect of their life they're losing, mm -hmm. the boundaries start to disappear. Mm -hmm. And you start to feel that you are losing with them. It might be a different kind of loss, but you are losing. And the loss, to me, is what is the hardest thing to keep a boundary up. So that's just an example. I just wanted to bring up that, that these boundaries are not simple, and they are so essential, and we want to help people understand what we're talking about. Okay. Let's go back to what you just said, because I, I was listening. And um, I have a couple of things out of what our manual. We have a manual, by the way, that we've used. We think it's wonderful. Um, it will be available at some point for sale, but we've used it for a long, number of years. But one of the things, going back to what Jenny just said, happens to everybody. And I think one of the things that I that I have always talked about is when we're dealing with really traumatic, disastrous health situations, which we do a lot, um, one of the things that we have to come to is an acceptance of what's happening to stay more objective, to keep our perspective. It really does help because you can't be in denial. Once that happens, you're in trouble, and we've seen enough of that. We've all gone through it. And we'd like to stay in that place because it's a fantasy, but the realities are not so ple pleasant. And physically, they're pretty bleak at times, let's be honest. That happens. But we also talk about, well, once you do come to a place of acceptance, and it's not a one-time deal, there's, an, there's adjustments that we make about how we respond to those that are in need, and we can be better at it. But here's the part that really does happen also, 
is that we grieve and we feel the sorrow, we feel the pain. Um, our emotions build up. You can't help it, particularly when we're depleted and we begin to get exhausted. The work is very exhausting. Yes. So that's the component that everybody has to understand goes with the territory. And that's the part you have to know how to deal with because it's going to affect us physically. It's going to affect our thoughts. I've just said that. It's going to affect us spiritually. Um, and it's very, very important to recognize these connections. Um, so I, I'm listening to this and I'm thinking to myself, well, what are some of the things that most of us do? Well, one of them is got to be strong, tough it out, hang in there. That's life. Um, we have a couple of, um, unfortunately, that's one of my sides of it. It's not my best side, but it's there. And it's a pretty big side to me. But I have caregiver friends of mine. Um, Marissa's husband the same way I am. He says, that's life. And I mean, he'll, and so does Marissa, they'll hang in there. But we're finding to hang tough all the time. Without ever letting down. That does not work. Trust me. Um, there's a, a, a point where it gets to, you're not taking care of yourself. You're not even thinking of yourself anymore. And the situation calls for such constant help and engagement. It, it's not, it's, it's never ending. Um, and it's easy to go to that place. It doesn't work. What happens is our bodies begin to harden. We begin to, our fascial systems, our, our, our muscular systems, this is the physical part of emotion, mm -hmm. begin to tighten up. Um, our automatic responses in our nervous system go to hyper alert and hyper arousal all the time. So then you have PTS, post-traumatic stress. Um, these are things that begin to happen. And once they do, things begin to take on, a, those emotions begin to take on a life of their own and it doesn't come out well. Um, in fact, we be, you can get to become very unstable and your, your reactions may be too strong and other times you may not react at all. Um, and we're not appropriate anymore. We're not even living in the present anymore. This happens to, it can happen. So that attitude of hanging tough and being strong and that after a point doesn't work out. Because you've got to get to the point of, for a while, yes, we've got to put our emotional needs aside temporarily, but eventually you've got to deal with them. You've got to get the help you need for your the physical pain that you're carrying in your body. Your emotional needs and their expression need to be dealt with. So then you can get back on your feet and, and become more resilient. I have seen too many people that we love and know. Um, they don't do it. And we are constantly seeing the damage they do to their relationships, um, how they'll go up into their heads and all of a sudden they're very intellectual and they're filled with defenses about explaining everything and they're very smart and yet they're so out of touch with what's really happening. And we see that a lot. We work with smart people. Unfortunately, they're not as smart as they think and they make a lot of d damaging mistakes. Um, they hurt people. They're insensitive. Uh, they're out of touch. We see that a lot. We also see others that are highly reactive, out of control. Um, some of our people we know are dangerous about it because we don't believe that they really have total control over themselves and they could hurt themselves or others. We're seeing all of this. These are real things that do happen. Yes, they do. And we've seen others get physically very sick and, and ill, and we've also seen some pass away from the distress. So we know this is all real. Um, we're not making it up. We're not being alarmist. We're saying you can do something about this. This can be prevented. This can be, there can be interventions for you. And I don't mean clinical interventions. I mean, there's things you can do 
to take care of this so it doesn't happen. And if it does, to to there's hope that you can get help with it. We help people all the time. We help each other. We help ourselves. So I know it works. That doesn't mean, though, you're not going to feel the pain. It doesn't mean that you're not going to be distressed yourself. It just means it's not going to last and that there are ways to deal with this so you can come out of it and get back on your feet and get your perspective back. I find that to be immeasurably important, at least in my life. And I've been doing it in my whole career, almost 50 years, now that we're taking care of others that are struggling with caregiving and my wife um, and my mother too. Um, it's, it's even more important, and I feel every bit of the pain when I feel it. Am I always in that place of grief? No. But when I let down, it's there. And it's, I know from my own personal disciplines that I have to take care of it, no matter what. It may be cathartic, it may be whatever, you know, letting it go, whatever emotions built up, get, getting that energy cleared away. Absolutely, it's a lifesaver. That's what we want people to learn to do. And we want, to learn, we want them to learn to recognize from their own body reactions. I'm going to read some of this from a manual. I mean, yeah. Not yeah. all of it. Don't worry, everybody. No, it's good stuff. But it's it good, is stuff. good stuff. And there's one fellow that we, we have uh, quoted from a, some, a paper he wrote. It's called Your Emotions and PTSD. Identify your emotions so you can respond in a healthier way. Uh, written by Matthew Tull, Ph.D., and he talks about the different components, and he, but he says, not knowing what you're feeling is connected with a number of negative consequences. By not knowing what you're feeling, your emotions may be very unpredictable and out of control. And as a uh, result, you might find it difficult to effectively manage your emotions in helping others. And he says, when this happens, people often tend to rely on more unhealthy ways of managing emotions, such as avoidance. I call it, and they do a lot of intellectualizing and defending, self-medication through use of drugs and alcohol. We see it common in first responders. Yes, very much so. Um, Part of the culture. But when you do know your feelings, on the other hand, it can help you figure out how to make yourself feel better, how to take care of yourself. Um, he talks about what makes up these emotions, what things, the signs that you can be aware of. And he talks about thoughts, your body's reactions, and your behaviors. And, he said, and I'm going to read this. It says, an emotion has very many parts. He says, thoughts, ideas or images that pop in your head when you're experiencing an emotion. Your body's response, the physical changes you experience. For example, increased heart rate, feeling queasy when you experience an emotion. And behaviors, the things you want to feel and urge to do when you experience a certain emotion. No joke. I've had that happen many times. When, and for me to revert to where I go, it's not gonna, I'm not going to be a terrible, I'll be violent. I know I could be. I'm not. And I'm far from it. But I could see that could happen. And I do know how to take care of that. And I don't let that happen. And that's the last thing I want to do. But that can happen to anybody. So we have to be aware of these things and then do some things to intervene, to diffuse, to redirect, and to get some perspective and health back. And that's knowing yourself. That's right. And he talks about what he mentioned fear, sadness, and anger. And I want to, he said, the physical sensations of fear racing heart, tunnel vision, shortness of breath, usually a panic attack. The thoughts are, I'm in danger, something terrible is going to happen. The behaviors are getting out of a situation, freezing, crying, um, <laughs> and I know others can get very aggressive, and that's out of fear. They, we call them fear biters. Sadness is the physical sensations are low energy, slower heart rate, queasy feeling. The thoughts, my situation's never going to change. I'm all alone in this. 
and the behaviors are isolating yourself. And what, what you should do is seek out help and a lot of crying. That just You just hemorrhage emotionally. Anger, the physical sensations, racing heart, muscle tension, jaw clenching. We see that so much. The thoughts are, life's unfair. Everyone's out to get me. The behaviors are yelling, picking a fight with someone, slamming doors, and you name it. But once you can begin to identify these things, you can develop coping strategies. If you know what your particular um, possibilities are, what yours are, mine are different than yours. Um, Jenny's is that queasy feeling, that feeling of freezing, and, mm-hmm. and, um, and mine is the other. Um, and my heart races, my jaw gets tight, I get very aggressive and want to attack and protect. But it also is, it can be, it's very inappropriate. Uh, the intensity of the emotional expression is definitely out of kilter with, with present things. So we're not even really focused on the present anymore. A guy who did a lot of work on the body work, Wilhelm Reich, talked about, tri- he, his word, it wasn't triggering, but he talked about what they call state-specific um, triggering, which meant something similar in the present. It triggers us physically, emotionally, um, and we be- it's, it's so similar that we begin to have the same old reactions in the present, contaminates them. It's not about the present anymore, and we're, we're inappropriate. We see it, people who intellectualize a lot, by the way. And usually they're fearful. They don't know what to do. It doesn't fit their mode because they like control. And what I've seen is so many times that they are so out of touch. And they're causing such pain and hurt in others because of their insensitivity and self-centeredness. They don't even know they're doing it. And we have to take it back and find out what they're, real, what they're going through emotionally. And that's not easy with somebody who's real intellectualized. But because they're usually very defensive. But when we can do it, you can get them back to dealing with whatever they are, what state they're in emotionally, their thoughts begin to clear and they begin to see things more normally in the present. Some of the people we know that do that, by the way, tend to be some very sensitive, caring people. Not everybody, but some are. And we have some wonderful people that work with us at our institute and they can do it. And they have a preponderance for being intellectuals. And yet they can be very sensitive when they let go of it and they know that about themselves. It's they know their baseline, and they will fight their way back to what's really going on, get that physical discharge and recovery, and then all of a sudden they're not defensive, they're not intellectualized, they're not controlling, and they're usually very remorseful about hurting and being insensitive to others. Not everybody has the discipline to be able to, and humility to do that, but it's a great Ability. A key word there is discipline. It's a skill that can be learned with practice. Absolutely. Let's return. Let's return to that. Okay. You've been listening to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. We'll be back after a short break. Welcome back to the Survivor's Guide to Life. I'm your host, Jenny Stevenson. We've continued to talk about boundaries, but we moved, we've moved somewhat into what happens when uh, we lose uh, perspective and our boundary, we cross the boundaries. Um, the key here 
is what happens when we go from a place where we can manage our emotions, we kind of know the things that set us off, and we know how to deal with it. If we're responsible adults, we can do that. But what happens when we move out of that territory because of stress, because of taking on pain from someone we're caring for, and we move into a place where we either where we are not managing our emotions and ourselves and our behaviors very well, and maybe we're aware of it, and maybe we aren't. We've gone so far we just totally don't realize that what we're saying, thinking, and doing is not fit what's happening right now. So we may have some awareness, we may not. But this is the key thing to help. How do we, when we find ourselves there, how do we get back to being able to manage? Okay, and you're talking about... Really, trauma recovery is really the truth of it because that's what we specialize in. We're not talking about psychotherapy. We are talking about mentoring and coaching and doing body work that helps people recover. We've been doing it a long time. It's so important to be able to read your body and know what's going on. Um, we've We've alluded to triggering, and we're going, well, why is it so important? Well, I'll tell you the truth. If you're an empath and um, you're that sponge-type person, Uh, The chances are you've got pain in your past, your own, um, that brought you to this place. But the other part of it is um, it's so important to understand what is is triggering? What's it look like? And we know people that have plenty of experience, and when they're triggered, they don't even know they've been triggered. They don't know what to do about it, and and they proceed to create a lot of hurt and damage and insensitivity. And sometimes it's pretty obnoxious. They don't know they're doing it. No. Some people don't even care. Because what goes with it is arrogance and a lack of humility. They just want relief and they want to just blurt it out or do it out onto somebody they else. They want control. Yeah. They yeah. want control. Yeah. yeah. So that's that's something that we, we contend with a lot with folks. Um, that's not what I tend to be. Um, but I, we have plenty of people around us that are. And they're not the worst people in the world. Not no, the ones we know. No, and everybody makes mistakes. No. But it's a big issue. Yeah. Um, what happens when people get triggered? Well, it's, I mentioned similar kinds of things in the present, and particularly when you're emotionally depleted and exhausted, begin to happen, and all of a sudden those similar things mm-hmm. begin to evoke old reactions and responses for another t- from another time in your life. And they were survival mechanisms of one kind or another um, that had a purpose and a reason at the time, but they don't work well anymore. And when they begin to come up, they can quite, you know, the word that I forget, they get pretty obnoxious. They really do. And it's like people look at them and go, you know, you're not hearing a word I'm saying, and I'm getting mad at you, and I'm getting frustrated, and you're hurting me, and you're being completely self-centered and and selfish. We've seen that probably, I hate to say how many times, um, it happens. But the key is, well, what do you do about it? Well, there are answers. Um, we've written a lot on triggering. Um, I'm just going to our, our manual. Um, to be triggered is to viscerally and unconsciously respond to a present-day event out of stored, unresolved traumatic emotions from our past. Perfect. It's an out-of-proportion, much stronger-than-needed emotional reaction to a present-day event. And it's usually a symptom of our own unresolved trauma or emotional wounding. Does that mean we have to be completely cured to be good caregivers? And the answer is no. No. Not at all. But you got to know about yourself and you got to know this is in you and how it, it can take hold because then you can take responsibility for making new choices and what to do and seek the right kind of support and help. 
and it is very, very doable. We mm -hmm. help people all the time with this. So it's not impossible. I'm not saying it's easy, but it's doable. Um, let's see. Yeah, we're simultaneously in the present and the past with our being with or without consciousness of what's happened. And we may lose perspective and control of our thoughts and actions. The painful memories which fuels the triggerings include stored, unresolved emotions of fear, anger, guilt, shame, and sadness. All right, so we talked about that. Can we resolve it? And the answer is absolutely. Does it have to be cured? No. But one of the beauties of this kind of work, and this is what I want to say, when you have the right attitude, it's an opportunity for further healing. Yes. In growth. And that's the beauty of this thing. The people that have a humility, and intellectual people that we see, humility doesn't come easy to them. But... Um, we do know some that, I'll be honest, they're very humble and good people. Um, others aren't so humble. But what we are seeing is, of course it can be dealt with. And of course they can come to grips with it. And, and uh, they can become better people from facing it and dealing with it and working it through. Some are very stubborn and tenacious about their old ways, unfortunately. That a lot of people who care about them suffer. The people they are taking care of suffer. So, yes, is doable even for those folks, but it takes a, almost a heavier mentoring hand to wake them up and to go, look what you're doing, and you have to stop now. You're doing the damage. So um, we've seen different variations of it. We know how important this is. We also know that in the work we're talking about caregiving, the chances after being exhausted and distressed and depleted of this happening are almost 100% guaranteed. It happens. It's going to happen to everyone. That's yes. right. You're going to have moments when you're just beyond tired, and that's the point where you've really got to kind of take hold of yourself and, and stay clear. And seek... We also have another part we'll talk about next time, pushing the pause button. You know what that means? Well, you better do your work at the, what's in, you know, take care of that person. Their needs are great. But you better take some time later on to take care of yourself and take care of these accumulated emotions and their destructive defensive parts that go with it because you can't afford to let that get in the way of your important work and efforts right so we're not talking psychotherapy we're talking real life for a caregiver and an empathetic person um, we believe in it we know that this is all doable but to wake up caregivers to realize this is a must to become a true professional or to really become an effective caregiver there's no way around it and I've seen plenty of cultures try to get around it, but there is none. This has to be dealt with, and it has to be learned. We can teach it. We want to teach it. We're using this broadcast to meet, to speak to caregivers all over the world because we know what an important job you have. Yes. And the courage you are showing and the selflessness and the caring and how needed you are. And the need is growing exponentially. So we feel that we are deeply committed to making sure that we get this message across. We have so many different ways of helping folks get through this, though. And we know working with body recovery, you know, recovery in the body and getting that nervous system out of hyper alert, which goes with being triggered, exhausted, whatever, and getting back to what we call self-regulation where things go to a balanced place is doable. But you can't talk yourself into it. This is a physical, energetic kind of thing that needs to be addressed. Can we teach people how to do this? We want to. 
And that doesn't mean you have to have a PhD in psychotherapy to do this, but you gotta learn to do it. So I wanna encourage people about this. I want them to wake up. We're gonna put the word out. Um, we're building teams of caregivers to help now, and we're teaching them to help each other, which we do. Um, please consider what we're saying carefully. Um, this is all doable and manageable. Don't let it get to the point where you're going into self-destruct because then you've let the, your selflessness turn into a weapon against yourself. That's not what this is all about at all. It's too, the work is a blessing. You're a blessing to do it. You're, it's, people who do this to me are just angels. They're amazing. But they have some liabilities that have to be addressed. So we're going to stay with this topic. We're going to make sure we address caregivers. Um, we know what we're talking about, not because we're, we're experts in, with PhDs only, but because we're there ourselves. We do this work. And we do this work. We're living through it. We're, helping, we're surrounded by caregivers in dire situations. And we go out, and I know you particularly will go out, and people will ask you, how's Lynn doing? Or even when you're talking to someone you haven't met before and you just start to bring up... Uh, your experiences of caring for your wife and for having caregivers for her, how many times people have had the experience of having been or uh, currently being a caregiver? More often than not. And they're terrific. They're good people. They've been through a lot. And some of them without any support. Yeah. Which really is amazing because they carry their pain deeply. But I think that there's other things uh, today that... Am I right? Yeah. Because yeah. I have the side of my Sienna producer... Yeah, yeah. No, we have. We're we're just coming to the end of our. We're coming to the end of our podcast, and we've talked about some very important things. Um, so, just want to do a little more uh, background on on who we are and where we come from. Uh, so, you have been listening to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma one hundred three point three FM. Um, the Survivor's Guide to Life. Uh, this podcast. Uh, our website is made possible through a grant from Sonoma Coast Trauma Treatment, a 501c3 public charity that relies entirely on donations from people like you. Uh, if our podcast, um, if what you heard today and the information we provide benefits you or someone you care about, uh, please support us. Please consider supporting us by giving to Sonoma Coast Trauma Treatment. All donations are tax deductible and it's easy to donate. We just go to www.sctraumatreatment.org and click on donations. That's www.sctraumatreatment.org and click on donations at the top of the page. And you can also support us on social media. Uh, please like the Survivor's Guide to Life on Facebook and follow us on Instagram. Uh, for more information on our podcast, we invite you to visit our website, www.thesurvivorsguidetolife.com. Or if you have a question for Dr. Bernstein or for myself, you can email me at uh, jenny at bernsteininstitute.com. Or you can call the Institute at 707-781-3335. We have uh, just a couple of minutes, Peter, where we could just have some final thoughts. Do you have anything you would like to add to what we talked about today? Yeah. Well, personally speaking, this is close to my heart. 
Um, and sometimes doing some of these broadcasts, I think you said that about that for yourself a couple of weeks ago. Yes. We're pulling it from our own experience and the pain we have to work through. The situations we're dealing with, they don't go away. And I know with my wife, she's, I see her getting worse and my heart breaks. I'm also very effective in helping others, but also I can't stay in that grieving place all the time. But when I do, my heart breaks. But it also shows me that there is hope. Maybe not for Lynn's situation, but helping others. Um, there, There's a greater calling out of all of this. That's what I see. And the calling is to learn from this, to grow from it, to have a sensitivity to what people face and what they go through, to give them the skills and abilities and support they need to be able to do a very, very important job um, where the need is so great. One thing I did want to mention is that this, these, these podcasts are being videoed now. Yes. And they our... can be, you can see a full video on YouTube, right? YouTube. And um, yes, yes, we are. We yeah. are on the web. Not only our voices, but our our video. And I our think video. that's exciting. We want to reach as many people as we can, and to help you, to be honest with you, helps us. Um, and we still have to go back to difficult situations, helping many people in distress. I have to go back and help them as well as my wife. Um, we work with a lot of wonderful people. We're working at a terrific community in Petaluma. But I want to tell you, these broadcasts lift my spirits as difficult as a subject because I know people are listening and I know they're benefiting by what we're saying. If the subject's a little heavy, I'm sorry. Um, sometimes I wish we could lighten it up and just joke our way through it and, and uh, that would be nice to make it more entertaining. And we can do that at times. Mm -hmm. uh, today, I don't feel that way. No. Today, I feel like this is a serious time to deal with a serious subject and come up with serious solutions. That is one of our closely uh, held uh, principles is that we provide serious solutions for serious problems. Yep. That's where we've always been, that's and right. that's where we want to be that's because right. this is where our heart is. That's right. Thank you. So we send our best to all of you. Anything we can do, um, we are more than willing to. Um, please get in touch with us. Yes. That means a lot to us. Please do. And all our best and all our blessings to all of you who are going through these times. Yes. Until next time, thank you for listening.